according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Would you bow with me? Our God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word will go out and accomplish all that it's set out to do. And Father, at this time, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, indeed, that we would know the, that we would know the power that the Apostle Paul prayed for us, that we would know the height, the depth, the, bre- the breadth of your love. And Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, remove the veil. Lord, we pray that you would move the block, and we pray that you would tenderize our hearts and grant us understanding of your holy word this morning. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It is such a joy to be here with you all once again. Uh, One of the things I love about uh, Christ the King is that you have a high pulpit (laughs) or high lectern. Being a tall guy, I enjoy those kinds of uh, lecterns. Because when I preach from different lecterns that are too short, I have to bend over a lot. Uh, In any event, thank you uh, once again for allowing me to serve. And thank you all for your gospel partnership in planting our church, uh, Christ United Fellowship in Orlando. Uh, The text has been read into your hearing, and our title this morning is Fully Blessed in Christ. And I would... I want to start by saying to you all, I had the privilege of a lifetime when I was probably 13, 14, 15 years old, somewhere around that range. Uh, I was recruited to be a part of an organization that would grant me the opportunity to be affiliated with uh, some of the powerful people in the neighborhood. It granted me the opportunity to uh, be a part of a brotherhood that was massive in size. It granted me the opportunity to have protection from many bad guys. And it also granted me an opportunity to to have a good reputation. All right. But uh, in order to be inside this organization, I would have to undergo certain physical uh, sufferings. I'd have to undergo some demanding task uh, at the hands of other individuals my age. Uh, And this sounded very appealing to me, and one afternoon I got a phone call from a friend of mine who had been uh, recruited as well, and he said, I'm in. And I said, are you? Well, what happened? He said, well, uh, they initiated me uh, behind the uh, apartment complex. I said, well, how do you feel? He said, I'm okay. It hurt a little bit, but I'm just fine. Well, uh, the wise among you would know that that initiation was uh, being jumped into a teenage gang, all right, a middle school gang. Well, I did not 
carry it out. But what that experience did, it appealed to the longing that we have to have an identity. It appealed to the longing that we have to be a part of something. And you see, many of us don't go around uh, uh, searching for our identity, I would imagine, through uh, gang affiliation or through other sorts of uh, organizations. But we do it uh, by spending excessive amounts of money on material so that we can be praised by other people. Uh, We do it by boasting about our possessions so that we can have a certain standard uh, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, you see. And it appeals to the longing that we have for, or it speaks, I should say, to the longing that we have for an identity and our sense of uh, belonging or wanting to belong. But for the Christian, the Apostle Paul says that we have been recruited into a community, a worldwide community, that spans the globe. We've been recruited into a community on the basis of another. Uh, We've been granted entrance into this community on the basis of violence being done to someone else, and that is Jesus Christ. Because of our union with Jesus Christ, we have been fully blessed. We have been brought into a community that gives us an identity And that gives us a sense of belonging far greater than anything we could imagine. Hence the title, We Are Fully Blessed in Christ. And I want to take a moment here to uh, wrestle with several points from our text this morning. Uh, This is one long sentence for those of you who uh, who love the Greek. This is a great long sentence of praise and all the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ that the Apostle Paul writes here in verses 3 through 14. We don't have time to expound all of that uh, in one sermon anyway. Uh, Maybe one day I'll strike up the courage to spend all the time necessary on this sentence, but not this morning. Uh, Much to your delight, I'm sure. I have three points that I want to bring out from our text this morning. That is chosen in Christ for holiness predestined in Christ for adoption, and redeemed in Christ for his glory. Look with me at chosen in Christ for his holiness, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that what we should be holy and blameless before him. Notice how the Apostle Paul opens up this sentence with praise, with adoration, with acclamation for our God and Father, the same God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is the Apostle Paul so excited when he writes this long sentence? Why is he filled with so much praise and adoration? He's filled with so much praise and adoration and excitement because we have been blessed We have been granted all that we need as it pertains to our salvation because of our union in Jesus Christ. It's been all settled in Jesus Christ. Because of our union in Jesus Christ, we have been granted all that we need. Christ has done everything that is necessary for our salvation, and it's been applied to us by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is filled 
with excitement. He's filled with adoration because of all the blessings that we have been granted through our union with Jesus Christ, through the work accomplished by Jesus Christ and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Notice that Trinitarian language. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father sets his affection. The Lord accomplishes the the work and the Holy Spirit applies the work of redemption. What did he do? Why is Paul so excited? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That is a powerful, powerful statement. Chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. We are finite beings. So when we start to talk about things happening before time, it's sort of confusing. And it should be. It should strike awe and reverence in us. It should incite us to uh, to mystery and curiosity about the God that we serve. In, In essence, what Paul is saying is that before this thing called time, as we know it, before this thing was created, God had literally, in the Greek, settled this matter. When he chose, it was definite. It was not a probability. When he chose us in Christ, it was done. It was resolved. It's not God saying, let me just throw something out there and see if this will happen. Uh, It's not God just saying, let's find out what will happen in time. It is God saying, before time was created, that I have made a decision and it is final. That is the kind of God that we serve. Yes, that's the kind of God that we serve. Uh, Before the foundation of the world. Eternity is something that I try uh, to no avail to wrap my mind around. I cannot fathom it. I cannot understand it. It's just mysterious. It just makes me fall before the Lord and say, you are great. And you have settled this before, long before I was thought of, long before you and I were thought of. I was meeting with a friend the other day, and and he was talking about how he made a plan with uh, one organization to get a job done so that he can serve his clients uh, in another capacity. And he made the plans, and then he told his clients that, Uh, The work would be done. Then he gets a phone call from the other organization saying, we apologize. We thought we could do it, but we can't. So he told me I had to put out all kinds of fires because my clients were depending on this to be done at this time. And this organization told me that I could that they would be able to do it. So I was excited. And I said, you know what? When our plans are altered, they can just be life changing in the moment, can't they? It can just throw you off, can't they? He said, absolutely. But beloved, let me tell you. When God makes a plan, it comes to pass. It comes to fruition. It comes to maturity. God's plans will not, will not, absolutely will not be thwarted. What God has settled in eternity past will be accomplished in time. God's plans are not like our plans. They are not subject to alteration. Let me make that clear, categorically clear. That when God says something, it is final, it is settled. Why has he elected us? 
He chose us with a purpose. We are not, we are not purposeless uh, beings. God chose us in Jesus Christ so that we would be holy and blameless. He chose us so that we would be his agents here on planet earth, that we would live a life that brings glory to him, that our lives would be a witness to the world around us. So we have a purpose, uh, beloved. He's not elected us and brought us into his family that we should just remain idle. He has brought us into a new way of life to demonstrate to the world what it means to truly be human. Uh, We're to be blameless, that is, without guilt or fault before his presence. And we know that that only comes through our union with Jesus Christ. Is there an amen? Amen. Absolutely. He didn't choose us because he looked down in time and saw that we would believe. He chose us, in fact, uh, knowing that we would be wretches. That's something that we should understand. We should understand that the basis of God bringing us into his family is not on anything that he would perceive or see that we would do. He redeemed us so that, you see, so it necessarily follows that we were with blame and we were unholy when he decided to save us. That's what he saw. He saw wicked people. And that's what makes his love so amazing and mysterious. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Not while we were saints. (laughs) While we were sinners. What should this do? Knowing that we have been elected and brought into God's family with a purpose, this should move us to, number one, humility. Some of us are convinced. Some of us are convinced that we are saved, that our salvation is based upon our own doing. And that's a farce. That's not true. We cannot do enough to satisfy an infinite and eternal and perfect God. We cannot in all eternity do enough. Understand. And so what happens when we think, when we're convinced that God has decided to save us based off our own doing... We engage in judgmentalism when we don't see someone living up to our standard, which, oddly enough, falls short of, God, falls short of God's standard anyway. We're like the Pharisee that looks and says, I thank God that I'm not like that individual. Well, only if you knew that you're just as depraved as that individual and save, except for God's gracious mercy in his hand and bringing you into the family, you would not be saved. So it should It should move us to humility. It should move us to action. Uh, We're not to assume that God has brought us into the family to remain idle. My friend's mother in college was uh, just a dear uh, Bible teacher and faithful, and she said, I don't like talking about election, Mike. I believe it, but I don't like talking about it. You know why? Because it makes people lazy. People just think I'm saved and that's it. There's nothing more to be done. And uh, she's old enough to be my mother. And I shook my head and said, I understand. I understand your sentiment, but that's not what the Apostle Paul teaches. Teaches that we've been brought in so that uh, we would live different, so that we would be distinct from the world. 
He predestined us in Christ for adoption. Verses 5 and 6. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In love, he predestined us. Out of his love. If you ask why, why did God choose me? Why did God choose you in love? Out of his love, out of his character. You have to understand that. Some people think that God is just a cold, distant, cosmic killjoy. But he's not. He's very loving. I cannot imagine a love greater than giving up your prized possession of your only begotten son for a group of wretches. He did it out of love, and he settled the matter way back in eternity past. Paul here says he predestined us. All that is a synonym for being chosen or elected. So in in, uh, predestining us, The Lord wrote our destiny, if you will, ahead of time. A glorious destiny he laid out for us. And what is that destiny? That destiny is adoption through his beloved son, Jesus Christ. So then God had foreordained that we would be sons. Now, let me say something here. Man, this does not mean that the Lord is a chauvinist. All right. And women, it does not mean that God is a sexist. All right. Let me make that clear. It's not that God prefers to have a family full of boys. All right. What it talks, what adoption, uh, uh, adoption uh, uh, carries the idea of inheritance. When Paul says that we were predestined for adoption, Paul is saying that we were predestined to be brought into the family of God. And to receive all the privileges that a child of God uh, uh, would receive. Okay. It doesn't mean that God has preferential uh, gender uh, gender preference. It means that he has brought us in to grant us an inheritance. inheritance. We have an inheritance right now. And we have an inheritance to come. In Romans 8, 29, he says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God brought us into the family to become more like our big brother, Jesus Christ. He brought us into the family to transform us from the ways of the world and to become more like the son, more like our big brother, Jesus Christ. And being adopted and being brought into the family of God, he teaches us what it means to be human. He teaches us what it means to love our neighbor. He teaches us what it means to really be a, a good worker. He teaches us what it means to honor him in our thought, in our words, and in our deeds. That's, what it, that's, that's in part what it means to be adopted into the family of God. You've been granted a new identity. You've been granted many new privileges that are not afforded those who are outside of the family. 
And he did this all to the praise of his glory. Uh, you know, I've, my grandparents uh, had been foster parents for decades upon decades. They've taken care of many people's children that are not their biological children. They've adopted some legally. So adoption is something that's uh, very, very important, very significant to me. J.I. Packard, a great theologian, says that uh, adoption is probably one of the most underdeveloped underdeveloped uh, doctrines that we have. We need to spend more time understanding adoption. It deserves sermon series of its own. Uh, You know, when I was in college, I experienced uh, firsthand what it uh, felt like to be adopted. I still still have both of my biological parents alive, but I grew up in Miami, and I went off to school 16 hours away to the University of Kentucky, and I was adopted into an Italian-American family. Uh, So, you know, if you get adopted into an Italian-American family, man, that means they love you, okay? I mean... Uh, my friend, uh, his grandfather was alive. We just celebrated his, and by, by the way, their last name is Suffoletta, uh, which means Little Wind Farm, uh, so, uh, or Little Wind. Uh, but so <clears throat> if that's not Italian, I don't know what is. So uh, his, we celebrate his grandfather's home going in May. His father's alive, and he, the third Suffoletta, is my best friend, Rick. We are uh, very close and one day we were sitting down in the common area of our dorm. A teammate and I played football in college. And this uh, guy walks up to us. He says, uh, hey, you all want some brownies? <laughs> My friends said, don't do it, Mike. It, of course, we're athletes. And he's thinking perhaps the brownies might be contaminated with something that would get us in trouble. Anyway, I took a risk. I stepped out on faith. And they were some of the best brownies I'd ever had in my life. So that Thanksgiving, he invited us to his house, and they welcomed us. And again, it's an Italian-American family. I walked into the house and saw uh, this massive counter full of spaghetti and different things. And I said, Mrs. Safaletta, I said, where did you buy this spaghetti? She said, honey, we don't buy spaghetti in this house. (laughs) They made the noodles. They made the pasta. All right, so I'm learning what it means to be brought into, adopted into this family. Well, uh, we, uh, shortly after that, I called my grandparents and my family, uh, the ones who I normally spent, uh, with whom I normally spent Thanksgiving, and there was this great interaction, this great exchange on the phone, and my grandmother was thanking them for adopting us into the family. I, I'm half Jamaican, so it's a very communal family, so to know that another family that's very tight-knit invited us in uh, just uh, made my family feel well. And so... Uh, you know, four or five Thanksgivings later, we're sitting down at the dinner table with the Suffoletta family, um, and uh, my, uh, uh, we were having a time of sort of confession, just lighthearted confession, and uh, I said, you know, Papa Suff, I said, since everybody's coming out sharing all these, you know, stories and stuff. I just wanted to tell everybody something. I said, you know, I said, when Kentucky's not playing, I actually pull for Tennessee. (laughs) And the room fell silent just like that. (laughs) He he put his fork down and said, 
son, you're sitting at the wrong dinner table. (laughs) So when you are adopted into a family, you receive all the privileges that a family member receives. And I can assure you that I received all the privileges of a suffoletta without violating any NCAA rules. All right? I did not get a Cadillac. I did not get a Yukon or anything of that nature. You also uh, learn what it means to be loved, and you also learn what it means to be rebuked or chastised. Being brought into the family of God, you are afforded all the privileges, and it is also a privilege to be chastised by the Lord, to be corrected when we go off course. Let me ask you this morning, as far as adoption is concerned, have you had a bad relationship with your earthly father? Did you have an absent or distant earthly father? Well, listen what our heavenly father says. I am a loving father who relates to you as close as possible by indwelling you with my Holy Spirit. God knows how to perfectly relate to his children. Be encouraged this morning if you had a distant relationship with your earthly father. For your heavenly father says to you, I am perfectly close to you. Are you lonely this morning? As an adopted child, you gain more family members than you could count. And you will ever have time to account. To count. So I want to assure you this morning that you are not alone. Are you searching for an identity through people-pleasing? Do you try to keep up appearances before people for social status? Do you boast about your position and possessions so that you can feel important? The Lord says to you, close your mouth. Because I've already elevated you higher than the praise of any man by calling you a son. Do you understand that this morning? That the Lord says to you, I have granted you a status. I have granted you a position. I have granted more praise upon you than any man will ever be able to do by calling you a son. Because we've been adopted into the family of God, we have been granted more than we could ever imagine. So we can settle down with our boasting and we can rejoice in the status that's been given to us already in our union with Jesus Christ. We've been uh, we've been redeemed also in Christ for his glory. We've been chosen in Christ for holiness, predestined in Christ for adoption, redeemed in Christ for his glory. Verses seven through ten. Let me read a few into our hearing in him. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Listen, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Beloved, we have been redeemed in Christ for his glory. You look there at. Uh, Verse 7, we have redemption. What does it mean? What does redemption mean? It means we've been rescued. 
It means we've been bought back. It means we've been set free. We've been claimed. The Lord says that you are mine. We've been rescued from slavery. We've been rescued from captivity. And he did this by making a payment. You might think of uh, the story of the Israelites in Exodus. A pharaoh arose that knew not Joseph. And then he increased the labors of, uh, upon the people out of fear that they would take over. And the cry of the people reached heaven and the Lord raised up a deliverer. The Lord did for the Israelites what they could not do for themselves. And he demonstrated his power to the world, to a wicked Pharaoh. He demonstrated the power of his hand by delivering his people. He put on a spectacle. He put on a cosmic spectacle. And Pharaoh said, well, we can do some of that too. Let me show you. So they go toe to toe and the Lord crushes him every time. Then we get to the the decisive battle and the Lord says, I'm about to take out the firstborn in the land from top to bottom. And he says to the Israelites, you get a lamb without spot or blemish and you put the blood over your doorposts. And the Lord reigned through the land with judgment. He passed through the land with judgment. And the homes that were covered in the blood were pardoned. God delivered his people with a mighty hand from the Egyptians, from Egyptian captivity. He drowned their enemies. He didn't just deliver his people. He defeated our enemies. That is part of what it means to be redeemed by God. It means that the enemy has been destroyed, never to bring you into captivity again. We may wrestle with the enemy a time or two in this life, but be sure that God has decisively defeated our enemies. And that's what he demonstrated in the Exodus story. He demonstrated that I am God. And that no one messes with me or my people. When I rescue them, they are rescued with finality. Nothing Nothing can happen to us. Not a hair can drop from our head without God's authorization. Anything that happens, happens by his divine will. That's what it means to be redeemed. You have been purchased and brought in. You've been rescued. You've been rescued. And the enemy cannot snatch you out of his hand. He cannot bring you back to the prison camp. He says that we've received forgiveness of our sins. And beloved, our sins need to be forgiven. Some people are uncomfortable talking about sin. There are some gatherings, Christian gatherings, that are uncomfortable talking about sin. They don't like to call their people sinners. And I want to tell you, be careful. Because when there's a problem... You have got to identify it. We have a sin problem. Don't tell people that they don't have a sin problem because the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. You understand? The wages of sin is death. Sin is serious. 
When we violate God's word, when we don't do as he says, it is committing cosmic treason, as one theologian has said. We have sinned. When we sin, we sin against an infinite God. We sin against a perfect God. God is not to be trifled with. Sin should not be taken lightly. But look at the gracious love of God. How does he forgive our sins? The text says, through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have redemption through the blood. The forgiveness of sins through the blood. Beloved, what we could not do on our own, what the Israelites could not do on their own, what the Old Testament saints could not do on their own, God did in Jesus Christ. God said, my created subjects cannot satisfy me perfectly. So God says, I will come down in my son. God says, I will send my son and I will satisfy my righteous requirements. Jesus Christ perfectly satisfied God, but not only did he do it in his life, he satisfied the just demand. He satisfied God's just demand for our sin and giving up his life as a ransom for us. That was the payment. The blood of Jesus Christ shed was the price for our redemption. Isn't God good this morning? He did for us what we could not do for ourselves in his beloved son, Jesus Christ. What else has he done? He has also revealed to us the end of history. We've been brought into the family. We've been brought into the family of God to be brought under the authority of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. If you look there at verse 10, he says, as a plan, excuse me. I'm going to start up making known to us the mystery of his will. He reveals this to us according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Jesus Christ is the head of the church and Jesus Christ is the Lord of creation. He is the agent in creation. Let's get that clear. Let's make that abundantly clear. Jesus Christ is Lord of everything. It all belongs to him. He has been granted all power and authority. He is head of his church and he is head of the universe as well. And the wise and perceptive among you may say, well, preacher, it doesn't seem like Jesus is Lord over this world. Uh, There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of Sin that still happens. There's a lot of pain. What does it mean that he is Lord? It means that Jesus is reigning right now at the right hand of the Father. And one day he will return. And the Apostle Paul says in another letter to the Philippians that every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me say something else. As a church, we understand this in part. It will make more sense when the Lord ushers in his new kingdom. When he ushers in the new creation, when he brings heaven down here to earth to abide for all eternity, when the new Jerusalem is established, it will make sense to us. 
but it will also make sense to the sinner. It will make sense to the person who has not bowed the knee to Jesus while there is time. When he comes back, even the pagan will say that Jesus Christ indeed is Lord. But it will be too late. All things will be placed under his authority, even as they are now, but we will fully realize it. And I want to say to you this morning, if you wait till then, it will be too late. But I also want to say to you that there is time. And you've heard all the things that were enumerated. You've heard all the privileges that, being, uh, that are afforded to an adopted child of God. And if that appeals to you, then the gospel call goes out to you as well. If that, if that appeals to you, then say yes to Jesus Christ as your big brother. Say yes to the call of the Holy Spirit if you hear the Spirit tugging on your heart to say, come in to this family. Would you bow in a word of prayer with me? Our God and Father, we thank you for all the blessings and the privileges that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, We thank you, and we are humbled. We stand in awe, and we stand in comfort. Our Lord, may the call go out to anyone that does not know you. Would you save them and bring them into the family, O Lord? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together as we respond to God's word uh, from hymn number 98. Now thank we all our God.
Would you receive the benediction at this time from 2 Corinthians 12 and 14? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you.